Hey everyone, you are listening to the official podcast of the Evangelical Free Church of Ken, where our mission is to glorify God, helping each other become mature disciples of Christ as we worship, grow, serve, and reach. Primarily at uh, one verse in Matthew 24, but uh, we'll be referencing a lot of different texts. So I encourage you um, to jot these down as we go through them. And uh, but as we jump into this, I'm I'm curious, and I want you just to kind of respond right where you're at. Um, when you hear the term "easy life." What comes to mind? So the reason I ask these questions is because today we're going to dive into what Jesus told to his disciples specifically in Matthew 24. And it goes in stark contrast to what many of us, whether cognitively or unconsciously, Tie to following Jesus. And more specifically, what our culture ties to following Jesus. And we live in a day and age when the reality is, whether we like to admit it or not, every one of us is pursuing a life that is comfortable. We're pursuing life as a culture that would make us happier than it would not. And for many people, the idea of following Jesus should fit with that mold. That if I am truly a follower of Christ then I can expect an abundant life. But what I want to draw out today, and what, I, what I'm praying we will see from Scripture is, the abundant life that's promised in Jesus is not the same as the abundant life we so often pursue as humans. And, in fact, what we're going to see in Scripture is that the cost of following Jesus is great. And the reward of following Jesus is great. But potentially not in the way you would expect. So we've been navigating Matthew 24, and we've identified that Jesus here is talking to his disciples. Everyone say disciples. And disciple is just a fancy name for those who were following after Jesus. Those specific individuals who Jesus called to himself and said, follow me. And this was often the case when Jesus would teach. His his teachings were focused primarily on those who had decided to follow after Him. 
And oftentimes there was other people surrounding. They were listening and hearing what Jesus was saying. But Jesus seems to focus a lot of attention towards those who had already made the decision to follow Jesus. Why? Because there is a stark contrast. A calling for the person who's decided to follow Christ. And oftentimes we have no idea what that is. So what I want to do is I want to read starting at verse 3 of 24 and kind of go through what we've already talked about in weeks prior. And ultimately, we're going to focus just on verse 9 today. But I want to uh, I want to start at verse 3 just so we hear Jesus instructions again and as kind of a refresher for us as we navigate this. Matthew 24, starting in verse 3, it says, As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the end of the age? Jesus answered them, See that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars, See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning, everyone say beginning, the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. And you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. Father, I pray that as we navigate this together, that you would help us to see what the calling is on our life and how to uh, navigate seasons of plenty and seasons of challenge with consistency that's ultimately rooted in you and your promises and the reward that is in you. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now what I want to start by doing is identifying here what Jesus specifically said to His disciples. And as we do this, we're going to draw out what is the specific application that we can pull from uh, today. Now the reason I want to do this is because as We have talked about in weeks past, Jesus has a multifaceted uh, application or view in Matthew 24 of uh, what he, what the timeline is for the fulfillment of these things. And we have a mix here of that which is going to happen in the life of the disciples, right, as they are walking this journey, and then also the fulfillment of what is yet to come, what is yet to happen, what is still going to happen even today in the church age. And so this specific instruction in verse 9 is directed to the disciples for their equipping and preparation in regards to what's coming next. And I say that because it's really important that we don't just read verse 9 and we just apply it directly to ourselves and our context in a way that misrepresents who Jesus is talking to. 
So Jesus here is speaking specifically to his disciples, those disciples that came to him privately, as verse 3 says, and are seeking answers as to when are these things going to be. So what does Jesus say to his disciples? Number one, expect... Tribulation, the very beginning of verse 9, then they will deliver you up to tribulation. Now, this, this is not the first time that his disciples would have heard this. In fact, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 10 through 12, it said, Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount said, blessed or deeply joyful are those who are persecuted for righteousness sake for theirs is the kingdom of heaven blessed or deeply joyful are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you expect Tribulation. Now, what's interesting, that word for tribulation in the original language can mean affliction, suffering, trouble, anguish, persecution, or burdens. That's not a fun word. And it's not a word that any of us in our natural fleshly state want to hear. And yet, Jesus sees this of importance in the middle of this conversation to go, Hey, you guys, you who have followed me to this point, and you who, from Jesus' perspective, they still had no idea, really, what was coming. Expect that they're going to deliver you up to tribulation. Expect... Affliction. Expect these things to happen. He doesn't stop there. We take it a step further. Expect to be put to death. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death. Now, wait a minute. We stop when we think about this. I thought that the gospel message was about life, right? That it's about life and in Jesus I have life. What is this business? Why is Jesus in this moment telling his disciples, hey, you guys, you should expect not only tribulation, but you should expect that they're going to put some of you to death. Isn't the gospel This message of good news, proclaiming life and not death? Yes, it is. Amen. Amen. The gospel is life. The problem is that when we stop and we consider life, we only see it through the lens of life as we know it. Not life as God intended, right? When God set Adam in the garden, he did not do so 
in order for Adam to establish life for himself, God was the one who gave him life. True life, lasting life, eternal life is found only in God. It was no surprise that the disciples were convinced here, and you have to put this in perspective. The disciples had had teachings for years and years and years from the prophets, from the law, that when the Messiah came, he was going to reign on earth. He was going to establish rule and reign at that time over the Romans who had governmentally taken over what they had known. So you can imagine, just imagine for a moment that when Jesus said to the disciples, follow me, and they started seeing the miracles and they start to see the fulfillment of prophecies that they had heard about for years and years past. That there was kind of an excitement. Oh, this will be... This is the one. This is the Messiah, the one promised to us that is going to bring us out of this oppression and into freedom. Which is exactly why it was so hard, no matter how many times, if you read the Gospels, Jesus tells the disciples over and over again, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to be with you. I, he even tells them, I'm, I'm going to be killed. And, and they just can't wrap their minds around it. Why? Because they were convinced he was going to reign, according to the prophets. So now, in this moment, we can imagine the perplexed look on their faces when Jesus, sitting there, is telling them, Hey, by the way, they're going to deliver you up to tribulation. You're gonna, some of you are going to be put to death. I often wonder how much we are just like the disciples who have convinced ourselves that if I'm following Jesus, life is just going to be good. That somehow, some way, if things go wrong in my life, then I must not be following Jesus the way that I'm supposed to be following Jesus. And there are whole organizations that teach a message that says, if you're truly following Jesus, everything that you desire will be yours. This is pervasive, false teaching throughout our country and around the world. And yet you and I can end up in the same mindset so easily Where we look around at everything we have, everything material and earthly that we've been given, and we go, oh man, this is all mine because I'm a follower of Jesus. Now don't get me wrong, it's not wrong for us, and we should indeed give thanks and be grateful for what we have been given. Yet, our gratefulness, that which causes us to be thankful, should not be the material or physical being of where I'm at. It should be only, only through Christ in what God has promised to those who follow after Him. Jesus paints a very grim picture for His disciples. And you know what? He was right. I don't know if you've ever looked into 
what the, the historical accounts are of what happened to the disciples after Jesus ascended and they started spreading the gospel. But I just want to give you a little insight into some of them. Now understand as I read through these, there's really only two uh, that we know in Scripture, that Scripture identifies how they were killed. The rest, you they rely on extra-biblical accounts, historical accounts. And so there is some uh, disagreement in some sectors as to how these actually unfolded. But I just want to go through this and give you an idea, knowing here that Jesus told His disciples, these guys, expect that some of you are going to be put to death for this. What was the fate of the disciples? Simon Peter was, is believed to have been crucified. Many say he was crucified upside down because he did not feel worthy to be crucified in the same way as Jesus. James, the son of Zebedee, was killed by the sword. Bartholomew, tradition agrees that he was martyred. Matthew, some accounts say he was stabbed to death in Africa. James, the son of Alphaeus, historical accounts say he was stoned and then clubbed to death. Andrew is believed to have been crucified. Paul was beheaded in Rome around 66 AD. Matthias is believed to have been martyred. Thomas was believed to have been martyred. And Jude, or Thaddeus, is believed to have been martyred. Whoa. That's a big switch. These are the same guys who were thinking to themselves, which one of us is going to be greatest in the kingdom? Which one of us is going to rule next to Jesus? And here Jesus identifies and says, they're going to they're gonna kill you for the message you are called to proclaim. And for many of them that was true. Expect tribulation, expect to be put to death. And then it goes one step further. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> expect to be hated by all nations. They will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death and you will be hated by all nations. Luke 6 <clears throat> says this. Blessed, deeply joyful are you when people hate you. And when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. John 15. If the world hates you, <clears throat> this is Jesus speaking, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you are <clears throat> not of the world, but I chose you out of the world. Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will. Everyone say will. They will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. Now, all of this tribulation, death, hated by all nations... The resounding question we should be asking is, why, why are these things going to happen to the disciples? And what does Jesus say? For my name's sake. This was transformational for me this last week. 
because we often take Scripture and we wield it. We wield it as a weapon to defend ourselves rather than who God is. And we often use it as an excuse to act in ways that go completely contrary to what we've been called to in Christ. And yet here, Jesus is telling his disciples, all these things are going to happen to you. Why? Because of the name that you will proclaim. The name of Jesus that is above any name. Now, I don't know about you, but in hearing that, if I'm one of the disciples who's listening in on this, who is hearing Jesus say these things, I've got some real-time wrestling that I've got to do. Because this flies in the face of anything and everything that I've expected. And yet, one of the most powerful testimonies for the accuracy of Scripture and what Jesus taught and His ministry and His life is the fact that His disciples died. Many of them died for the message they proclaimed. I don't know about you, but if I made something up and someone came to me and said, hey, by the way, you're going to die for this. If you keep saying it, you keep teaching this, you're going to die. I don't know how you'd respond, but I kind of go, oh, okay, it's, it's not worth my story. It's not worth dying over, you know. I, I kind of made it up to elevate me for a time, but I, I'm good. Like, I'll stop. Yet, it was exactly the opposite. These guys drove head first as you read through the book of Acts into places where the gospel wasn't. And they proclaimed the truth, the hope that is found only in Jesus. A life that extends beyond the physical. We have brothers and sisters in Christ that do this today. Who go to places where the gospel is not and they proclaim this message. Many of them in places where if they are found out, they could be killed. Why? For the name of Jesus. Paul, in 2 Corinthians 4, says, We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying in the body the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifest in our bodies. For we who live, get this, are always being given over to death. Why? For Jesus' sake. So that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. Do you see where life comes from here? Again, in 2 Corinthians 12.10, Paul says, "For this is when he's talking about the thorn in his flesh. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content. Everyone say content. 
I am content with weaknesses, insults, hardships, persecutions, and calamities. Why? For when I am weak, then I am strong. Not in my own power, not in my own strength, but in the strength of the one who I'm called to follow. So the resounding question at the end of all of this, understanding what Jesus communicated to his disciples is, how do we respond? And I want to shift that to, all right, for you and me, this prophecy spoken by Jesus to his disciples, it's not a direct correlation, okay? I'm not going to stand up here and tell you that because Jesus told his disciples that they're going to come and they're going to cause tribulation and they're going to put you to death and you will be hated by all nations, that that's exactly what's going to happen to you. But what I will say is it might. Because the name of Jesus and the power in Jesus' name has not changed. It is the same today as it was on the day Jesus himself was speaking to his disciples. You and I are fortunate to live in a country where we can go to our neighbor, we can proclaim this message freely. I don't care how much you think you're able to do that. You, in comparison to so many other nations in this world, have the freedom to do that today. You have the freedom to be here today with lights on and doors unlocked, rather than huddled in your basement in the dark for fear that someone will find out. And I say fortunately, but oftentimes in our Christian life, it's unfortunate that we have those freedoms because it causes us to take a comfortable view of what it looks like for me to follow Jesus with everything I am. It's convenient. And it's accepted. But what would it look like, church? What would it look like if all of a sudden we did not have those freedoms? Would you still strive to follow after Jesus if it meant the safety of your family? If it meant the safety and security of your job? If it meant... The comfort, sacrificing the comfortable here on earth. Would you still strive to follow Jesus and say, I'm going to count it all as loss for the sake of Christ? As I stand up here, I go, I hope so. But I'm going to tell you, church, I struggle with this the same as you. Because in my flesh, the comfortable is nice. But we are called to more. Church, we are called to more. And so the question we need to ask ourselves is, when that day comes, how do we respond? First thing, do not be surprised. First Peter 4.12 Peter writes, Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. 1 John three thirteen. He writes, Do not be surprised, brothers, that the world hates you. 
Don't be surprised. <laughs> In fact, 2 Timothy 3, 12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. All who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Don't be surprised. Secondly, endure. Second Timothy 4.5 says, As for you, and this is Paul speaking to Timothy, says, as for you, always be sober-minded, <clears throat> endure suffering, do the work of an evangelist, fulfill your ministry. Another place you could go is Hebrews 10. Let us, since we have access to the Father, let us hold fast to the confession of our faith. To hold fast to this, to cling to this, to endure when hardship comes. Thirdly, this one's a hard one. Everyone say this is hard. Pray for your persecutors. Matthew 5, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. That's hard. Yet, biblically, it's what we're called to. And the fourth one may just be the hardest. Rejoice. First Peter 3.14 says, But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled, but in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you, for a reason, for the hope. Everyone say hope. For the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. First Peter 4, 13 and 14 says this, But rejoice! Everyone say rejoice! Rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings. That you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed. Because the Spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. The church hears where we're getting at. At the end of this. Being a follower of Christ is the most life-giving thing we can do. And yet, we should expect that if I devote myself fully to following after Jesus, the abundance of the reward promised to us is in eternity, not here. 
Why is that significant? Because it means this world can take everything from us. And our hope is still secure. This world can shove us to the floor. They can beat us up. They can kill us. And yet we gain life. My challenge to us as the church is to ask the question. How much am I willing to sacrifice for following after my Savior. And if there's something in our list that we go, I don't know that I could give this up, that is the number one idol in your life. Jesus, in Matthew 24, is seeking to prepare His disciples for what is going to come. And He must have done a very good job because they continued to stick it out. Now, that didn't happen without faults, right? It wasn't long after this that Jesus was arrested. The disciples deserted Him. Peter denied knowing Him. And yet, in the power of the resurrection, they were mobilized. And they pursued the mission entrusted to them with constance each and every day. Father, I pray as the church we would hold fast to Christ. Father, that we would not allow the troubles of this world to dissuade us from following Jesus. God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the opportunities that exist right here in our own community the people within our circle of influence that do not have the hope and the eternal life that is only found in Christ. Father, I pray that we would be a people who is transformed by this message. That we would be a people that roots further into Scripture. That roots our feet further and further on the rock. And that nothing... Nothing that we encounter on this earth could dissuade us from that. Lord, we worship You because we are not worthy to be in Your presence. We're not worthy of the grace You've given us in Jesus. Use this to refocus our affections and our attention, Lord, I pray in Jesus' name.